This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Thanks for your company. Over the next hour, we're going to chat with a young man who reached a milestone in regards to WA football recently. He took out the Sandover medal at the age of 25, playing for East Perth. He's got an amazing journey. It is a name synonymous to WA sport and the football industry as well as cricket and also media. And we talk of Hamish Brayshaw. Thanks to Baron O'Day because the little things are everything. Over the next hour, we're going to get to know this young man's story and we appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you very much for having me. That's a different introduction than I'm normally used to. <laughs> I like it. Um, congratulations on the Sandover. We'll thank get you. more on that in a moment. But where does it sit with you? Oh, it's right up there. Yeah, it's... Uh Certainly right up there. I think looking back over my football, getting drafted was massive, a, a, a different sort of feeling. Playing my first game was a different sort of feeling. But this, for me, he's, it's sitting right up there. I guess I'm old enough now I can sort of – and I'm in a position where I could celebrate it a bit differently. Um, but, yeah, this is this is right up there. I think those three stand alone as my the pinnacles of my sport. But I think for me – yeah, it's it's still sinking in this one. I, I guess both of my brothers have played AFL football, so and so is my dad. So that's something that has happened before in the family, and this is this is the first. So it's um yeah, it's taking a little bit of time to sink in, but it's it's right up there. And your pop, of course, is Ian Brasher, who's a man who was very close to me. And when I started in TV, he was my mentor, and I was very privileged to work with him. He gave me so much support and gave me reason to be calm. He's a very calming influence, is Sticks Brayshaw. Uh, he played in 64 Premiership at Claremont. Yep. He's a Sheffield Shield cricketer, took 10 wickets in there. I mean, he's just a superstar of the game, to be honest. Uh, how proud was he of uh, of his young boy, grandson, nailing the sand over? Yeah, very. He uh, unfortunately couldn't stay up and watch it because it did go a little bit later on in the night. But um, I got a call from him and Grandma in the morning and obviously they have – been a lot of a big part of WA sport and this is has forever been um a, a big medal for WA and um and he was stoked yeah he uh he was very 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 proud of of me and um obviously proud of all of us but for me to uh, for, to do something for WA like that it's um that was really special for him now there's a lot of jousting in the Brayshaw family yep. go your old man was a master <clears throat> of it mark of course mm-hmm. uh, uh angus i'm not so sure andrews looks at chimes in then you've got your your uncle in James, it's and you are very good at it. There's a lot of verbal jousting. Um, has there been much going on your way to them because of the Sandover medal success? A little bit to Dad, yep. So last year, so Dad came, I think Dad came runner-up in 89 uh, when it was the 5-4-3-2-1 system. He missed the last two games or something. He was sick and, and missed out by a couple of votes. So he came runner-up in 89. I came runner-up last year uh, and... <laughs> Doing the aggregate score, so he was five, I was only out of three. So my aggregate votes were higher than his. So I've sort of had that over him the last year, but this has now gone 1v2. So I've taken that uh, a couple of times over him. And it's, I mean, it is a little bit of a sore spot for him, so I won't push too hard, but uh, a little joust here and there, a little jab. It's, uh, But they're coming over in... I think November, the whole family will be here. And for the week that they're here, I'm not going to take it off. So I'll be wearing it for a full week. Uh, very cool. Uh, we're going to get to more about the, the Sandover a little bit later. And we're also going to take you somewhat on a journey. Now, just tell us about the brothers. The brothers, and of course, there is the Forgotten Brothers, yep. like the War Brothers, the War Twins. There's yep. Dean War as well, I'm led to believe. 
Yeah, we have played a bit of first class cricket. Might have played for New South Wales once. There you go. There you go. Well, you've got the you've got Will. Will. Yes, we've got Will. Yeah, so Will's, he's fought for the country. <clears throat> yes, he has fought for the country. Will's our oldest brother. Uh, he's twenty nine now, I believe. Ninety four born. Um, played footy growing up. Played footy at school. Played first eighteen with Angus, but never really took it seriously. Was more of a socialite at school and still did very well. But I think when he was about sixteen, the Defence Force Academy came and did a pre- presentation at school, and <clears throat> he was taken back by that. And, that was his path. So he joined the army straight out of school and he's still kicking now. So he's, um, yeah, he's the forgotten brother, but um, probably doing better things than all of us are. <laughs> no doubt. It was very funny because at the recent Carbine Club lunch, Graham Moss got up there and uh, waxed lyrically. He got onto the Google <laughs> yeah. and went through every son's football achievements and he said, there it is. And he completely forgot completely about Completely forgot Will. about Will's. Dad's, Will's dad on the but... front line <laughs> looking after our country and our <laughs> shorelines. Mm, I'm not sure Google's very up to date because dad was still the CEO of the Coaches Association, which was about four years ago. So... <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, no, he sometimes does go forgotten, but um, not not amongst the four of us. I'm sure not. Um, take <clears> us back <throat> to growing up uh, in the backyard uh, with the boys. And uh, where were you born? I was born in Adelaide. So I was born in Ashford Hospital in Adelaide. Andrew and I were both born there. So I think Dad got the marketing job at Frio uh, and, was, and had Will and Angus there. Did the same job at Port Adelaide when they first got going. So Andrew and I were born there and then... Got the was the CEO of Richmond, so we moved to Melbourne, and from there we we just stayed. So a lot of um, I have no memory of Adelaide. Angus and Angus and Will do a little bit, but so South Australian born, South Australian born, Victorian, Victorian raised, raised, play state footy for WA. WA, yep. You got it yeah, all. I've been all over the place. So <laughs> yeah, I moved to Melbourne when I was about two, and, and lived in the same house uh, in Sandringham. Um, it was interesting growing up. We had five of us under four, uh, four of us under five at one point when we were all young. Um, but I was yeah, I've. For the longest time, said if I want kids, I want to have four boys because I loved my upbringing. I loved growing up with the camaraderie and the competitiveness of the house, and <clears throat> it was very much Will would beat up Angus, who would beat up me, who would beat up Andrew, and then <laughs> when it finally got too much, Andrew would you know run away to mum and dad. So that was how it worked. Um, but a lot of the time, I mean, speaking and looking back at old videos and old photos of the house. Before we got it renovated, it was very much, we had a trampoline out the back, a cubby house, but then all the grass in winter would just get chopped up and it was just a mud pit. So whenever there'd be a fight, it would be throwing us out the back and we'd just be running around there wrestling on the mud and then dad would hose us off before we came inside. So (laughs) it was a very, very competitive and awesome house to grow up in. So that's, I think, where a lot of the sporting drive came from was those, you know, early days back in the backyard of just fighting and wrestling and whoever wants it. And then, you know, when you're done, shake hands and come inside. Who was the cricketer? You have a cricketer inside the family. I was the cricketer of the four of us. Um, I played cricket up until year twelve. You played at uh, Harlebury's, where you went yep, to school. Yep. So Angus and I played cricket. Angus, I played club cricket as well. So Angus only played school. I played club cricket at East Sandringham. Uh, East, sorry, East Sandy. The East Sandringham Boys Club Cricket Club was my same as uh, Warney. So Warney and I have played. Had a, has it had a change of name since? It then? hasn't. The East it's Sandringham Boys, Boys Club, Club. Cricket Club. Club. I believe it is, yeah. I think there's now a girls' club in there, so it's, okay, it's, it's changed. But that was the um, – <laughs> I, th- I thought it was weird when there was an extra C on my hat. I said, what's that? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I grew up – I played a bit of cricket there and at school, uh, but none of us took it. To, I was a leg spinner, yep, same as Warney. Uh, oh, okay. No not, not as good, <laughs> but didn't take it as seriously. Um, and much to Pop's dismay because he thought I was a very good cricketer. Uh but no, we've got uh, James's son George is the most promising of the lot in terms of cricket. So he's James still is very good himself, wasn't he? Yeah, it? George is playing first eighteen, I believe. He's uh, he's uh, opening batsman, I think, and an off spin bowler. So he's he's doing a little bit of cricket. So he's I've, one of us. I've been uh, suitably reminded there were four War Brothers actually. There was Dean who played Shield cricket. Yep, but there was also Denny. Denny. 
Yeah, so it's not dissimilar. No, there you go. There you go. Uh, so uh, more on that a little bit later too about the the upbringing of Hamish Brayshaw. So um, you, you did uh, play – you played first 11 for Halebury? No, I never played first 11. I had the opportunity a couple of times, but I was the captain of our twos team and never took cricket seriously enough to – Really try. Did you get dropped from the year tens team to the, to the Bs and then, but sort of responded. <clears throat> I got dropped the week before my uh, before my sixteenth birthday, and then took five for three and made forty or something and came back up. But I always used to piss fart around at training and never really took it too seriously, and would just try and hit sixes all the time. And <laughs> the coach didn't look too favourably on that. There was a period in year twelve when I made, I think, four consecutive fifties playing twos and got asked if I was, you know, interested in taking it. Because the, the, to play ones, you had to do the extra training session on the well, Thursday. Yeah, I've and, got a story similar. And it was, I got asked, hey, like, if you're in very good form, would you, you know, want to come to Thursday training? And I said, not really. Like, I would go out there. To, to summarise my two's cricket, I went out to, we played Geelong Grammar one day, and it was 32 degrees, and I had went to Coles and bought blue zinc and went out with Braveheart, <laughs> went out with the complete right side of my face zinced in blue, and was fielding slips and um, pretending to be William Wallace for the day. So that was the interest that I had in cricket. I was there to have fun with my mates, and it was good fun playing twos. But, um, yeah, got the option to play ones and then didn't. But that's okay. My cricket career took a very bad turn. I made my top score playing for Subiaco Florit fourth. Yep. 36 not out. Nice. about seven. I was a fast bowler in <coughs> nine for eight, seven for one, seven and nine, three consecutive games. I've got the trophy to prove it. A nice. bowling average of 3.6. Wow. And Graham Watson, who would have played with your yep. op, uh, played shield cricket and uh, and also played test cricket. Graham Watson gave him my trophies. I've still got them somewhere. I could go on about that, but I won't. But I did make 36 not uh, for um, Subiaco Florida and got dropped the following week after my top score. Wow. By Nicole Bolton's dad, Alan Bolton who was the captain and selector, mm. to re- be replaced by Terry Alderman, who was coming back after yeah. tackling a spectator at the Wacker and busting his shoulder. And now Alderman had to come back through grade cricket and someone had to give. That's probably fair, isn't it? Well, it is, but he didn't yeah. even, But he was a batter. He wasn't yeah. a batter. He was picked as a batter. And yeah. was, Terry Alderman was one of the worst batsmen who ever... Yeah, what did he make the next week? No, he didn't bat. Oh, there you go. He didn't get That's a chance stiff. to bat. So I just lost my spot in the team so he could come back in as a stepping stone to coming back to After Shield After your very cricket. best ever cricket game. Correct. Yeah, that hurts. So I end up playing, going off to Claremont Netherlands, which was Yeah, there Pops you go. Club. Pops club. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much. Uh, let's get a breakaway and come back. We want to talk about 255. It's a number synonymous and famous to you and close to your heart. Yes, it is. Hamish Brayshaw is our guest. Inspiring sports stories thanks to Baron Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. And that was 255 menu. 255th player, 255th player to play for the West Coast Eagles to be selected is our guest. Inspiring a sports story. Thanks to Baron O'Day because the little things are everything. Hamish Brasher in the studio. Did you know that you were going to be announced that day? <clears throat> I had a more than strong enough feeling. So it was the week that that week that I debuted. It was either between me or the Water Boy because we had no one left. We were in the hub. It was the second last week of the season, and everyone was pretty much done. Like, we had four or five midfield injuries. I think Jack Redden might have hurt himself. 
And it was honestly, it was between me and no one. I, I had to play. And so I remember the start of that week. Um, it was one of those weeks where it was like in the hub, it was every now and again you'd have four-day breaks or five-day breaks. I think it was a five-day break. So there wasn't a lot of training to be done. The day after the game, Redo had come to me and said, mate, I'm, I'm not playing. I'm pretty sure it was Redo. This might have been the time before when I didn't get picked. Someone came to me and said, I'm not playing. Like, get ready. You're going to play. And I'd done the maths in my head and I, I knew I had to. And they'd, Simo had been rolling this... 255. I think we started at like 242 that year or something because we had so many debutants. Um, but I started to get a few text messages from dad's mates who had also done the maths. And um, Anthony Stevens was one who was a very good teammate of Simo's and a, a lifelong friend. And he rang me, I think team selection was the Thursday or the team got announced Thursday. He rang me midday Wednesday and said, mate, I know, I like, I know you're up for selection this week. Um, he said, just go to Simo's door, knock on Simo's door and say, mate, like, I'm ready to play. If you play me, I'm ready. If you don't, I understand, but like, just know I'm ready to go. Anyway, I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, you're his, one of his best mates. You're his teammate for 300 games, whatever the two, two of you played. Um, I'll do it. Built up the courage, went around to Simo's door, knocked on it at the hub, wasn't there, did it again, wasn't there, text him, hey, mate, like, where are you? He said, don't worry about it, mate, I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went to bed and I, he was like, I'll catch you before the team meeting. Team meeting was at eight o'clock. I've got there at like seven. I'm trying to find him. No, nah, couldn't be found, couldn't be found. Um, anyway, I, we went into the team meeting. I said, oh, well, I, I've tried my best. Sorry, um, sorry, Steve-o. So I went in there and it was he was awkwardly standing in the corner and wouldn't come over and wouldn't talk. Anyway, I in hindsight, it was because he already had established that I was going to play. But they did, they'd, they'd rolled that number out a number of times. And as soon as he uh, he said, Hammer, what's this mean? I said, yep, there we go. But um, yeah, it was at a point that week where it was me or no one. And I'd, I'd probably made the decision if I didn't play that week, there was two weeks to go. I was like, I'm just not doing anything. I'm not training. I'm not going to lift weights. I'm just going to go to the pub. I don't care. We're in COVID. I don't give a stuff. I am done. So I knew I was probably going to get delisted at the end of the year. But um, yeah, it was. And then Drew Petrie presented me my jumper and I was a lifelong North Melbourne supporter. It was great. And here is Drew Petrie presenting you your jumper. Um, um, mate, it's an absolute privilege to be able to stand up here today and present your first game jumper. So you um, become Eagle 255, which is a number that no one will ever be able to take away from you. Um, the passion and energy you bring to the, to the group, no one can deny how elite that is. And the love and the care that you show all the group as well in this footy club is, um, is undeniable. So you've worked your backside off to get to this position. Um, you absolutely deserve to be here and to run out with the boys on Thursday night. Um, it was a joy to run out with you um, in the Waffle Eagles a few times last year, mate. Uh, I'll never forget my first game with you. I listened to a bit of Limp Biscuit Roller, baby. <laughs> that was a thrill. And um, it was a pleasure to run out alongside because I knew what I was going to get. So these boys know what they're going to get. Uh, there it was uh, being presented with the jumper, of course, by Drew Petrie, who's still around the footy club as well. Um, uh, the number 22? Yep. Yep. The two ducks. It's uh, it's been – I was number 11 growing up because Glenn Archer was my favourite player and I was – when I got drafted – they, um, Serge and Miller sends you the message after a little bit of time settled. Hey, you know, we're thinking about numbers. What number do you want? Uh, and then put in brackets. We're not like, you can't have 11. We're it's, that's having a spell because Matt Prittis had obviously been wearing it. So, um, 22 was available and I said, well, that's only, that's two of them. So I'll, I'll grab that. Oh, we're going to talk about the <coughs> game that you played in. So it was St Kilda. Yep. You're in the hub. Yep. 
you have a shot for goal to join the f- one, one first, first kick. kick. Yep, first goal. goal. I join a more elusive club, I think. The first kick, first point club. <laughs> <laughs> I'd had There's plenty of those. Yeah, I'd had um I had set shots from there about six of them before the game. I was just flushing them. Um and was out there and Tim Kelly kicked me the ball and had I'd taken the mark and running back and he comes over and says, This is your moment, mate. And I was like, Beautiful and then kicked it off the side of the boot. Never looked like going in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was pretty fun. But the game itself, I mean, quite forgettable for, you know, anyone but me. I was – so Simo likes to start debutants on the ground when, they, when they're playing and not the sub. Um, so I was on, started forward pocket or whatever the hell I was. It was hard because I'd been a midfielder for four years or for three years and got my first game as a high half forward whose job was to go up to the stoppage as soon as the ball gets thrown up, run, run, run away and try and beat your opponent back to goal. Um, so that was an interesting one to sort of get my head around. Am I allowed to stay, stick around and try and win the ball? No, no, mate, just just run back. Um, so I did that. <laughs> I would have looked like the biggest idiot of all time. The ball would run, get thrown up, and I was just running away from it. So that was my role for the day on 50% game time in a game that was already cut in half because of COVID. So I, I would have played maybe 40 minutes of the game, 40 minutes of a game of football um, coming on and off the bench for five-minute stints. It was, it was tough, but... The feeling of starting out there in a forward line with Josh Ke- uh, Josh Kennedy and um, Jack Darling, I was it was a phenomenal experience for me, and I didn't do much, but I'll, I'll never forget it. Three kicks, yep. one mark, two handballs, five disposals in total, one behind, one tackle, uh, one inside fifty, two. I don't know if that's clearances or clangers. That'll probably be clangers. Oh, <laughs> nah, it couldn't be clangers. Um, might have been. Uh, no, I remember running through no, Dougal had- Howard. Did you? Yeah. Actually, no, I was just re- – um, who was I reading stats there? No, I was actually reading Tom Cole's stats there. <laughs> pretty, actually pretty similar. <laughs> I, just, I had the five as well, I believe. <laughs> so did Oscar Allen on that yep. occasion. Um, ju- just that whole experience, though, because the family couldn't come because no. it was COVID time. No. So they were all at Do home you feel, watching. When you reflect back on it, and you're an AFL player, let's not forget that. Yep. You played AFL football, and you were on that list, off that list – Drafted on that list, re-rookied off that list, and then you play on it. It's it's it wasn't it wasn't easy for you, mate. No, it it wasn't the easiest three years of my life. But I mean, yeah, why I, did you stick at it? Uh, I mean, I always thought. I mean, it was always a dream of mine. I I thought I was in a position in 2019 that I thought I'd earned a game. I, I thought I'd earned. I thought my waffle football was at a point where I was like, I'm. Like, I'm knocking the door down. I felt Everyone like... spoke about Brayshaw. Everyone said, when is he going to get in? I'm... Were you aware of the the public push to give this guy Brayshaw a game? Not particularly. I wasn't, but my, my host family was. So my host family um, have done it. Judy and Richard Smirk have done a lot of kids in, through their house, and, and Luke Partington was one fan. of them. Judy is. Rich is a massive eagle. So they're, they're split between the two. But they had Luke Partington there for a while, who I think in maybe 2017 had a run of form in the waffle where he was just dominating and got a standing ovation when he finally played at West Coast. So the public outcry for him to play was so big that when he came on the ground at Subi that he got a standing ovation from the work <laughs> he'd done in the waffle. And it wasn't to that level with me, but Jude and Rich had said that there was, you know, there was a lot of... Riches all over it Facebook. Was. There was a bit of talk about it me was. getting a game. So in 2019, I thought I was in a position where I, I like I could have, I believe I could have had a game, um, but didn't work out to be the case. And then at the end of the year, I was like 
told, I was told that it was, you know, 50-50 whether I'd get another contract. And that, for me, I was I felt like I'd done everything to give myself a chance and I don't want to just let this stop. And so when I got the option to come back as a rookie, I was obviously going to grab it. Um, and then, yeah, halfway through the year when I, it was I, it was not going to work for me, I you know, I still wanted to stick at it and get a game. And then once I'd done that, it was that was pretty much me. Did you like living <clears> in the COVID <throat> bubble? Uh, it was an interesting one. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot that you could do. Um, like what? What could you do? Well, we were in a ho- – the first hotel we were at was great because – you were part of – this is the part where everything believes it was the beginning of the end for the West Coast Eagles that they'd up – were spewing that they were going, the negative coming out of it. And from that day onwards, it has been on a downward trajectory and they re- believe that the hub and COVID was club effective. Well, I mean, we still made the finals that year, didn't we? Yeah, so it might not have been all doom and gloom, but – we went to the hub. The first place we were at, the RAC Royal Pines, you could still – there was a nine-hole golf course and then an 18-hole golf course. The 18-hole was still open to the public. They had closed the nine-hole course off to the public and just given it to Frio and West Coast who were sharing the, the Royal Pines. So we were out there – I was out there pretty much every day um, away from training and that was pretty much it. You could go to the beach and not do a whole lot else, um, but it was you – were, you weren't allowed to integrate with the public. It was very much just be on – with our group in the hotel – be with our group on the golf course, and that was pretty much it. And then the second place we went to was a bit more of a resort. There was like a little lagoon almost, I think they called it. It was like a little beach in the hotel sort of thing, um, and we weren't allowed to leave that a whole lot. So that was a bit more. But there was North Melbourne were there. The Giants were there. So it, there was a bit more. There was a few more crew there. Was it a holiday? For me it was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still try. Once I knew. So when the first one wasn't, the first one I was still trying to get a game. The um, the second time we went back, I knew that I was going to be delisted at the end of the year, and that was a bit more fun for me. Hamish Brayshaw is our guest, talking about his journey, the inspiring sports journey of Hamish Brayshaw. Sandover medalist, of course, uh, uh, Waffle Club captain, one game wonder, and a winning game. Let's, mm-hmm. make, let's make it note. One from one, never yeah, lost. Yeah, exactly right. Thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Just yeah, getting to the club, I've noticed that there's been a few, um, the older players don't need to be there at the moment and I've, you see a few of them coming back. So Nat Nui, McGovern and all those sort of guys are, are coming back early. They're obviously keen to get back on the park and just looking out there at Luke Shuey and all those sort of guys who are you know, elite players that you idolise growing up. Um, just the, the work rate they have and the extras that they do off the ground and off the field is something that, you know, uh, you don't really get to learn off at an under-18 level. So um, coming into, you know, the elite environment, it's, it's really good to look at those older players and see how they go about it just to sort of try and better yourself coming into the next level. A very young Hamish Brayshaw doing a press conference after being drafted by the West Coast Eagles. Yeah, I was. Wow. What was it like walking in? It was a bit daunting. Um, <clears throat> so I was, well, was I? I was 19, I think, getting drafted and moving over here. And Had you shaved by that stage? Because you fa- you're very, no, no, very... No, no, God, no. <laughs> I didn't start. I mean, I was still, I hardly shave now. I get the little beard trimmers out and trim this every four months. Um, <laughs> no, it was, I was young. I was, I'd worked pretty hard to get there. My missing out on my 18th year and then having to get drafted as a mature age player was pretty tricky. Um I'd been around senior football. I played a, a bit of AFL at, at the Zebras, so I had, had a little bit of a look into what an AFL-ish environment was, had the St Kilda guys come down there and play with us. Um, but walking into Subiaco and, and being at training and seeing everyone, it was, yeah, that that was a 
different feel. It was scary. It was nervous. There was guys, like I said, there, Shui, Hearn, McGovern, Nat Nui, all these guys. It was a different environment, a different feel, and stinking hot going into preseason. And I was, I was just sort of sitting there. And there was a lot of young guys. We got, I got, I was one of ten that came to the club that year. So there was a lot of us that were sort of learning and getting the feel of it together. So that was good. But um, yeah, certainly a nervous and daunting experience. Great timing for you though. To, to be around that football club in 2018. Yeah, definitely. It was um, it, it was funny because I, I was I played in 2016. We won the TAC Cup Grand Final. In 2017, we got there and lost in the Grand Final. And then in 2018, got drafted and went on to win a Grand Final at West Coast. So uh, be a part of that experience. And you sort of think football is easy. And it uh, it obviously isn't. But it was, it was a good environment to be come into. Difficult to play because the midfield was singing and, you know, there was very little injuries in my first two years to the AFL midfield, but to sit there and learn. And I got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge from that time. So 2018, they win the flag and there's there you walking around this football club. Could you sense that they were on this trajectory of, of being a contender and that, that you, I mean, did, you, did it feel like a premiership club even before the grand final? Yeah. I think getting there... Uh, when I did, so Pritter had left a big hole in the midfield and Sam Mitchell had left and was then the coach of the midfield group. And the first, one of the first meetings we had, um, <clears throat> and the, the, one of the first meetings that I can remember was Mitch sitting down and saying, look, boys, what's, you know, what's different this year? What's changed? And Shuey said, well, Pritter's not here. So it was okay. Who's going to step up and, and fill that void? And, um, Shuey sort of took the charge in that area, but uh, Dom stepped up and had massive impact throughout the year in the bits of AFL football that he played. Jack Redden had a, a really pivotal role in that season. Gaffey was massive on the wing all year. And it was, um, yeah, a, a lot of, a, a big lift to see who would take the leadership of the of the midfield group that year. Um, and so I think looking at from that angle, I, I was I was quietly confident that this group, that the, the midfield group anyway, was, was going to stand up and be really strong. And then the leadership of Bunga was massive down back and you could see that. But then I, I, I remember looking at the forward line and being like, well, Josh Kennedy, Mark Lecrae, Jack Darling, who is, who's going to stop that for mine was, that was the hard one. And then Cripper running up and down the ground. I was, I was sitting there and I was like, I think we've got, I mean, I don't know what an AFL other, or any other AFL team looks like, but this is pretty good. So early on in the season when we were winning some games, I, I thought we were going to be a, a pretty good chance to go deep into the year. And, playing at Optus and I know we lost our first game there but it was a lot of good signs and a lot of players out there that and Jack Darling had a stretch during the year where he was the best player that in the comp. That was Buddy's and, day, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Buddy's day that first one. But I think there was a stretch where before JD hurt his leg, he was the best player in the comp and had like mm. six games or something mm. where he just dominated and I was that was from a sideline point of view watching on it was yeah, we they're doing something pretty special here. Or right, where were you when <clears> Dom Sheed slots the goal to win the 2018 grand final as a member of the squad? We were up the other end, behind the goals. Uh, so, by in the pocket where he kicked it, the exact opposite pocket. So, other side and watching left on back pocket left back end. pocket at the other end. So, we were up in whatever tier we were in, tier two, watching, and the group of us was sitting there. And I remember Luke Dwyer, who was my line coach at the time, um, when he took the mark, we, he yelled something at Pardo, Luke Partington, and after the, afterwards, I'd spoken to them about it in the aftermath, and. Dom had kicked, so that was where the race was at Subiaco, from that exact spot. You would go down there to leave. And apparently, um, Dom would kick that exact kick every time, every day before he walked off the track. That's the same kick to leave the race. And so when he took the mark, Pardo, and it was something that him and Pardo and LD had done, and yelled at him and said, mate, like we do this kick every day. <laughs> anyway, so he slotted it. And 
That was that was phenomenal. The, everyone what about went running nuts. down did, to get down into the rooms or on the ground. You would have gone onto the ground, I'm yep. sure. What about that hole? Can you? I mean, I know you're a young player in your first AFL club, but it's you've beaten Collingwood the MCG. Yeah, it was. So as soon as the siren went, everyone in our little group was just jumping on. It was piles on, and and then we started running. And it was me. I think I was running with Matt Allen and Jake Waterman, and we were sprinting down there. And I think Jake might have been the first one out on the ground, but the security guard was running in front of us showing us where to go and the doors were open and we just sprinted out on the ground and I can't remember who the first person that I, I caught a hold of was but there were streamers going everywhere there were boys flying was it every- really cool it was phenomenal the crowd was still roaring I'd never be I can't it's all a bit of a blur the rundown is a blur like I was I couldn't have been going any harder got out on the ground it was just I couldn't believe it I, went, I think I went to Venables he was one of my better mates that were playing and Shuey I grabbed and it was just, it was phenomenal. So that was, um, yeah, that was all a bit of a blur. And then grabbing the streamers and sort of looking at the thing. Didn't touch the cup, was a bit superstitious about that. But then it, when Angus won it in 2021, I grabbed it and who cares. But, yeah, it was um, it was a massive, massive rush. Yeah. Uh, look, I know you've <coughs> spoken ad nauseum about the, the drafting to West Coast. So I just want to touch on it very briefly. Yep. So there you are. Your brother gets drafted, pick two. Yep. But he's flown up to Sydney where the drafts were being staged that year. Yep. You are sort of meandering around. You go to Charlie Constable's house, who's a, yep. f- a friend of yours, mm-hmm. and there's a bit of a party get-together for the, a draft party, not specifically about you. He gets drafted. You're celebrating. Everyone's celebrating, and you're still sitting there, and they're into the 60s. Yes. So I knew that my best chances to get drafted that night were Adelaide and West Coast. <laughs> Having spoken to both clubs, um, West Coast were probably the, the more likely. So West Coast had told me I was in I was in WA the week before that having a holiday with my then girlfriend and we went down to Albany and saw my grandparents and came up here and stayed with my other grandparents and on the I think we took the train down to or we might have caught the bus down to Albany on the bus down I got a call from West Coast saying that I was they were looking to you know take me and He's, they said, we're probably going to rook- take you in the rookie draft on, I think that was the Monday. A couple um, of days later. A couple of days later. We're going to take you in the rookie draft, but if if a couple of things don't go our way early, there's a chance we'll take you in the national draft. <clears throat> said, okay, cool. Didn't really expect the national draft and was sort of more bullish on the rookie draft the next couple of days. Um, and so I was not, I wasn't sort of comfortable going to Charlie's, but I was sitting at home and Angus, it was myself, Angus and Lauren, my girlfriend at the time, and it was... We can sit here and watch it at home. I'd been at home the year before with um, all of us and mum and dad were there and Clayton Oliver was living with us and everyone was sort of, we were all sitting and watching and I missed out and it was, um, it was a tough time at home watching it just us. And Angus said to me, mate, whatever you want to do, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. Um, and so Andrew was definitely going to go and Charlie was more than likely going to go. So Andrew and Charlie are, are very good mates and Joel, his older brother and I are, are really close mates as well. So I was like, oh, you know what, who cares? I'm just going to go around there. Went round, sat, we all celebrated Andrew. At about pick 20, Charlie started to get nervous, so he went to the other room. He went, I think, pick 33 or something. So everyone erupted for him. And by about pick 40 or pick 45, all of his mates and his family and everyone was there. So we started celebrating, and that was fine until about pick sort of 55, and then they all realised that I was still sitting on the same spot on the couch and hadn't moved. And um, <clears throat> it had sort of started to quiet down, and... Adelaide had, I think, the pick before. Adelaide might have had picks. I went pick 68. 68. I think pick 67 might have been Adelaide. Um, or even pick 66 would have been, might have been Adelaide. They had a pick pretty close. So I was on the edge of my seat for the Adelaide pick, didn't get picked up. And then 
the guy – so who was presenting the draft that day? might have even been Andrew Dillon. I can't remember, but Dad knew the guy presenting, and Dad was obviously there, and he was the only – Mum and Dad were the only family still in the tables – on the tables in front because all their other <laughs> families are off with the guys that have been drafted. And so they were sitting there watching. It was Andrew Dillon. Andrew Dillon. And um, – he had spoken to Dad about, you know, beforehand, oh, you know, how much is the chance tonight? And that was what they were hoping. They knew Andrew was going to go, but they were hoping that I did. Anyway, he goes, D- Andrew Dillon goes back and finds the name out. And as he's walking out, he's got a massive smile on his face looking in the crowd. And at the time, I was like, I'd, Dad had told me about it. And I was like, oh, geez, hang on a minute. This is West Coast pick. And he's smiling. And then my name got called out. And it was, um, everyone erupted. It was enormous. Uh, and that means that three Brayshaw boys had joined the AFL competition. Uh, Hamish Brayshaw is our guest. Uh, thanks to Baron O'Day, because the little things are everything. After the break, we're going to bring it home with these topics. You've got time to think about it. Okay. Gaff. Yep. Maynard. Yep. Simpson. Yep. Golf. Yep. And Future. Hamish Brayshaw, our guest, inspiring sports stories. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hamish Brayshaw is our guest, the Sandover medalist in WAFL football for 2023 and played one game for the West Coast Eagles. It was a win on the Gold Coast against St Kilda. Now, as much as it's all lovey-dovey and all very smooth sailing, there has been some ups and downs to the Brayshaw family in the AFL journey, and you've been a sort of a front-row spectator to a lot of it. Yep. So your brother gets a broken jaw in the derby, punched behind the play by Andrew Gaff after a tate-a-tate. Yep. I want to get your first reaction to when that happened. Yep. And you were at West Coast. Yeah, so I was there at the game in the box, um, <clears throat> in the players' box. Mum and Dad were at the game as well, had flown over. It was Andrew's, I think it was his first derby can't remember. There might have been one earlier in the year. There's often two. But he was there and mum and dad were there. And I, I remember seeing him go down and it was he was sort of on the floor and walking off with his hand, with a bit of blood in, in a towel. And we were joking about it in the player's box. It was, oh, you know, he's glass jaw sort of thing and he's fallen down and everyone was sort of having a giggle. And they didn't show the replay on the screen. And I remember thinking like, oh, it must have been pretty bad if they're not because normally they'll show the replay of an incident on the screen. Anyway, it very quickly came out, like two minutes later, came out on AFL.com and someone had watched it and just, like the room in there just dropped. And it was, had gone from more like joking around about it and then it became very much like, oh, this is, he's just been squarely punched in the face. So I remember seeing the vision. I I reckon I watched it two or three times and I was like, okay, that's, I've seen it. Thank you. Um, And then like the camera showed him on the, on the side, sort of like crying with his hand, all the blood pissing out of his mouth. And um, mum called me straight afterwards and said, like a couple of minutes later, and said, we, you know, we're going down to the to the ambulance and he's going to hospital. And my initial thought was like, oh, And then as the game went on, I, w- I was watching it and Gaffy was despondent on the bench and didn't want to go back out there. And he went back out there and then Freo had, had the, you know, a clear message to line him up and basically kill him. Um, and in that back, the last quarter, I'd, <clears throat> I watched the footage again. I knew Andrew was okay and in, in the ambulance going and I watched the footage a couple of times more and had looked at it a little bit and slowed it down and I was like, oh, I thought that looking at it and knowing Gaffy personally and knowing his character and his demeanour and I, I I looked at it and thought Andrew has pushed and pushed and pushed and the last little movement when Gaffy's trying to swing and get him in the chest, Andrew's ducked down to push him or dipped a little bit of his height to push him and it's it's got him in the face. So... It's um, It was a one-in-a-million hit that absolutely flushed him, but 
I still maintain that it wasn't intended to hit him in the face. And unfortunately, you you know, you got to wear the consequences of that and he misses a grand final. But it was, um, yeah, before the game had even finished, I'd, I'd looked at it and had determined in my own mind. And it was my opinion that he didn't mean to do it. And I wasn't going to hold any any grudges. Did you go down into the rooms and see Gaffy after the game, yeah. or and was there a conversation between you and him about it? Yeah, so I went downstairs, um, and he was in. The, so we went down. They reviewed the game straight afterwards, and so I was up the back as the non-players, and he was down the front, and he was sort of sitting there with his head just dropped, and he looked pale. And anyway, I walked past him at the end and said, "Mate, he's okay. Don't worry about it. Like it's it's it'll be fine." Um, gave him a hug and then walked out. Um, and that was the extent of the conversation with, I had with him that night. Uh, and then we went, so he, Andrew had been admitted to a hospital, but they had, there was no, the anaesthetist would have been six hours away or something. I think they, one of the guys opened this private hospital for him to come. Anaesthetist would have been too long. So the doctor said, mate, we can wait six hours or I can jab as much local in your mouth as I can and I can just do it. And so he, he was in agonising pain and said, just jab me up. So I think he had you know, more local anaesthetic that could put down a horse, but it was just, just wrenched. The guy put his hand in there and wrenched his teeth back into place and Andrew was sitting there. It was very painful for him and could hear it all and could cracks, cracks, cracks. And it reset his mouth essentially and then wired his teeth up. And I, so we saw him, uh, would have been 11 o'clock that night. He came, we went to our family friend's place in um, in West Perth and yeah, he had his all his mouth wired up, and he was there, and that was the that was the night after, or the night of, essentially. And what is the relationship? You don't have to speak on Andrew's behalf. What is the relationship, and how long was there a gap in the relationship between Andrew Gaff and Andrew Brochel? So Gaff, Gaffy on the Monday went home. Um, he was obviously going to go to the tribunal, and he wanted to be there live, and was obviously going to get rubbed out. So he went home for a number of weeks, um, and didn't didn't see him obviously in the next couple of days. Uh, while while he was over there. Um, Mum and Dad had gone to their family house, and Gaffy reached out to me and said, "Mate, I'd you know I'd really like to apologise to your family," and so gave them passed the numbers on, and they went to the the Gaff household, and they all had you know had a meal and sat down and, and talked it out. And Mum was more concerned about how Gaff, they were all concerned about how Gaffy was because understanding at this point, Andrew had had his jaw wide and his jaw was fixed, and he was not going to have any recurring injuries, and he, he was okay. And then it was the welfare of you know how's Gaffy going and the rest of it. And they were of the opinion as well that he didn't mean it and blah, blah, blah. And when Gaffy came back to Perth and Andrew's mouth was okay, <clears throat> Andrew and I, we sort of spoke about it and Andrew was like, oh, I'll, let's play golf and let's sort of bury the hatchet a little bit. So we went out and played golf at Yokai and Gaffy's a member there and it's okay. They're not like, they're not friends, but it's, um, you know, they, they've buried the hatchet essentially. So it was, uh, it was, a, it ended up pretty well. Okay. And now in more recent times, as we try and dissect this, the Braden Maynard with Angus. And now we don't know where Angus's football career lies right now, but it would look pretty bad. He was, his finals campaign was over. Maynard has since played in an AFL grand final. Uh, What's the family's process and Angus's process towards Braden Maynard and your thoughts? Because you were very vocal post. Yep. It was through the Sandover Medal time as well. Yeah. And you um, were very stuck up for your brother and you had a strong opinion of that. Do you stand by those opinions? And what's the Maynard-Brayshaw relationship like? Yeah, I do stand by them. It's funny because Dad was very much the spokesperson for the gaff incident. Um, he he came out and said something on some media outlet and they, everyone jumped on that. So he was the first port of call for any Brayshaw related uh, comment on the incident, and and it was me for the for the Maynard one. I, I'd said something on a podcast, and um, it went pretty uh, global. Uh, not global, it went pretty national, and then everyone sort of jumped on it. And, yeah, it did, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and so I was the first port of call for that. So my my opinion doesn't really change. I I think um, I, I don't think 
he intended to hit Angus in the face when he was smothering the ball. I don't think I, I have no doubt in my mind his first thought wasn't I'm gonna knock you out. It was I'm trying to smother the ball sweet. So I got no issue with that. I have no issue with him turning his shoulder into him and protecting himself. I think he did that on purpose to obviously protect himself, but also to brace for a bit of contact. Knew he was going to make an impact, and that's the player that he is. And I, I don't mind that. I think he plays on the edge all the time, mate, and he's a very, very good player. Um, but the result was a head knock and a concussion, and and I think he should have got weeks, and I still maintain that he should have. Um, but I've got no issue with him as an individual doing what he did because it's a football, it's a game of football, And but I just think the resulting concussion deserved weeks. But anyway, I think the family is probably... I don't know where they sit. It's interesting because Angus has had Andrew had nothing wrong with him before that, and it was just a, you know an accidental hit in the face that got him. Whereas this accidental hit in the face has resulted in a concussion, which potentially could end Angus's career. So that's where the animosity has come from. For me, I'm I'm not in Melbourne. I don't have to deal with it all the time. I haven't had to see as much of it as as they've had to. And I'm okay with it. I I, I mean I'm not personal friends with Braden anyway. But like if I was to have a beer with him, I would say that's okay, mate. Like I, I'm, it's the same thing for me and Gaffy as it is with me and Braden. I don't know, but I just know Gaffy. So I've, I've, I've accepted. So in both incidents, there was no intent. You don't... I, I don't think there was any intent. I think the intent for Maynard was the same as the intent for Gaffy. They intended to hit the other person. Sweet. Because a little bit different. Gaffy swung a hand and Braden's just ducked a shoulder. The intent was to impact and the unfortunate result is you're done. But I don't think Maynard had any malice in what he was doing. It was just a, you know, he protected himself, but the concussion is the result. Coming to a close with our chat for Baron O'Day, because the little things are everything, inspiring sports stories with Hamish Brayshaw. Really briefly, yep. your relationship with Adam Simpson. So I, he, he was a, a friend of my dad's through the North Melbourne days. And uh, you obviously you get a little bit when you get drafted from the head coach and then uh, not playing, you sort of fade into the background. And being a head coach of an AFL football club is a full-on gig. Uh, and so you don't have a whole – you have some interaction with him here and there. And I remember playing, and he was obviously really proud of presenting me um, or telling me number 255, and he was stoked for me. And then in my exit interviews, he was – you know, the first thing he said was, mate, I'm so happy that you got a game and I'm so happy we were able to play you and blah, 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 but it's not going to work out. So that was an interesting one. I've since worked at the club and have been around for a couple of years afterwards. And so we've had brief intermittent fleeting conversations here and there. Um, but yeah, I think he's an excellent coach who's, you know, hit hard times with the footy club. But um, yeah, I think in my experience as a player, not being in the best 22, didn't have a whole lot to do with him, was more so looked after by the waffle coaches and the development coaches. But yeah, I've got nothing against him as a, as a coach. I think he's good. He just needs to... Hit some form in the team. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, you play golf. You love golf. You've got very big, strong social media. Uh, you do podcasts. You're playing at East Perth. Um, in summary, what more do you want to achieve out of the Hamish Brayshaw journey? Is media something that appeals to you? Uh, media is something very much. It does appeal to me. I think I'm just going about my life and taking opportunities that pre- present themselves. Um, so I don't really know what that will look like. I think for me and my football, that the only thing that's left for me to do is win a Waffle Premiership. I'd love to be the captain of a East Perth Premiership side. It's been a long time. For us, it's been over 20 years since we've won a flag. And to see East Freo do it after such a long drought, it's um, it, it sort of sits there and it hurts because we beat them this year. And, well, you know, they were the best team in, in 
the season, but um, it, that hurt to watch. And I'll very much keep driving and try and, and do whatever I can to help captain a side to a premiership. But um, yeah, get your me, handicap down. Yeah, get my handicap down. So golf is obviously a massive passion for the lot of us. But um, yeah, I'm just taking opportunities as they come, Goss, and, and living my life. Uh, well, you are a breath of fresh air through everything you do, and the the family name continues to live on so proudly with the exploits of your brothers at the AFL level, yourself over here in Western Australia. Congratulations on the sand over, and I've appreciated the chat. We could actually go two or three yeah, days, we could. part one, part two, part three. <laughs> But time is against us, but we appreciate you coming. No, thank you very much for having me. Cheers. Hamish Brayshaw, the 2023 Sandover medalist, a former West Coast Eagle, of course. And uh, hand on heart, this bloke is going to make a very big impact in uh, in the landscape of media, in football, sport, or whatever that may be. Thanks to Baron O'Day. That has been the inspiring sports stories with Hamish Brayshaw. And don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.